Is there anything good that the emergent church brings to the table? And if so, what are those things? And are the emergent leaders really heretics? I mean, do they really teach any heresies? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org, starting now. $10 was... Hello, everybody, and welcome once again. You're listening to BibleStudyPodcasts.org. Today is Friday, December 11th of 2009, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us for our last lesson in our Deconstructing the Deconstructors series. And, of course, the point of this series is we're talking about the people who have been trying to deconstruct 2,000 years of Christian doctrine and tradition. Uh, the emergent church. And uh, so anyway, hope you guys have listened to the first few lessons that we've done. Uh, this is part three, but really it's kind of part four because we did one, uh, one lesson before uh, our first lesson on how to identify self-defeating arguments. So hopefully you have listened to everything up to this point, uh, And if you have, then this is going to make a lot more sense uh, than if you haven't. So, anyway, welcome, you guys. I'm so glad to have you guys here. Can you believe uh, today is two weeks until Christmas? Man, this year is just about in the dustbin of history. And, uh, I don't know, for some of us, that's maybe a good thing. For some of us, it's just kind of neutral, another year. Uh, But I am definitely excited about what this next year uh, holds in store for what we're doing here with our church plant. And uh, I will have news on that in the weeks to come. So anyway, uh, we do have just a ton of stuff to cover uh, here today, and I'm, I'm going to try to condense this into a uh, into a reasonable size of a podcast. I know that our last couple lessons have gone uh, close to half an hour, so we'll try to try to get a little shorter than that. But just real quick, I did want to remind you guys that this is a ministry that relies on listener support. So if you guys are blessed by our ministry, if you're blessed by what we're doing here you guys can actually support what we're doing so that we can keep bringing the gospel and bringing solid biblical teaching to people around the world. Uh, in fact, we reach four to 5,000 people every day. So for those of you uh, who would be interested in supporting us, you can go to our website. And on the right-hand side, there's a support box. You can click on the support box and make a donation through PayPal. Or if you prefer check or money order or whatever, you can send them to us at P.O. Box 6804, Springdale, Arkansas, 72763. So anyway, thank you guys so much for uh, for considering uh, to support us. We really do rely on your support to keep us going and growing, as I like to say. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with our lesson for today. We've, uh, you know, again, this is our third lesson, so we've already um, done a pretty thorough review of the emergent church. We've seen that the emergent church has been birthed out of postmodernism, right? That's what we kind of saw in our first lesson. And um, they've tried to appeal to the postmodern generation by embracing uh, the the philosophical thoughts or the philosophical uh, positions which characterize postmodern thought. And we've seen that one of the more dangerous characteristics of uh, postmodernism and the emergent movement uh, has been the elimination 
or the rejection of uh, objectivity or objective thought, uh, or the elimination of interpretation or perception that's objective. So rather than being able to objectively perceive reality, postmodernism claims that we're all looking at reality through a set of lenses, uh, namely uh, our pre-understandings, and these pre-understandings distort the way that we see things to such a degree that we're completely incapable of differentiating between our perception and reality. Uh, the world as we perceive it, according to postmodernism and the emergent church, uh, is shaped by two primary factors. And that would be, A, our culture, which includes everything from you know, the, the point in history in which we exist to our specific location in the world, uh, and even down to the you know specific social groups that we would be considered a part of, whether that would be uh, you know race, um, se- uh, socioeconomic class, or even gender. And it's also shaped by B, our language or our linguistic constructs, as they call it. So not only is our perception of the world shaped by our linguistic constructs, but our linguistic constructs actually go so far as to constitute our individual worlds, according to postmodern thought. And the result is that different people groups not only have these cultural and, and, and social barriers, but they also have these linguistic barriers which prevent one group from being able to verbally communicate uh, meaningfully with any group other than their own. So in light of this linguistic barrier, uh, the emergent church has proposed that we redefine what it means to be a Christian, since really, for them, uh, Christianity is culturally defined. As Brian McLaren writes, quote, the gospel message must change along with its methods. Its very success yesterday creates a new situation today. New opportunities, new challenges, new problems, new sticking points. The many-versioned, many-faceted, many-layered, but always Christ-centered gospel story must then draw from its resources in new ways to address this new situation. End quote. That's what he wrote in uh, the book Five Views on uh, Emerging Church. And so the way that we overcome the linguistic barrier with non-believers, according to the emergent church, is to not only change the methods by which we reach the world, but to change the message as well. In other words, we have to deconstruct 2,000 years of Christian uh, tradition and Christian doctrine and replace it with story and narrative which are relative uh, to our culture since we can't effectively witness to non-believers because their individual worlds don't have the same linguistic constructs as those in the Christian community have. And so that is, um, by acting out our faith, rather than discussing it or preaching it or teaching it, we'll bring unbelievers into our story, into our narrative, and once we've succeeded at doing that, then they'll be part of our community as well. Now, Norman Geisler, who of course uh, was my teacher in, uh, or my apologetics professor in seminary, has identified a total of eight characteristics which summarize the positions of the emergent movement. Uh, first of all, he points out that they consider themselves to be post-Protestant. 
In other words, uh, you know, we aren't defined by a movement which really stemmed from the Age of Enlightenment, which was modernism, right? They've, they've thrown modernism completely out and everything associated with modernism. Secondly, they're post-Orthodox. Uh, orthodoxy was an attempt to make sense of our faith, but the emergent movement avoids the urge to make sense of our faith. According to Dwight J. Friesen, he writes that, quote, embracing the complexities of contradictions antinomies and paradoxes of the human life is walking in the way of Jesus, end quote. Third, uh, Dr. Geisler points out that the emergent church is post-denominational. Um, different denominations affirm or deny different doctrines. The emergent movement, on the other hand, affirms no doctrinal positions, uh, and thus there are no distinctions from one group to another for the emergent movement. Fourth, as we've already made note of, they're post-doctrinal. Instead of trying to make sense of our faith by developing doctrines, we should embrace the mysterious, uh, uncertain spirituality of uh, Christianity and, uh, and any certainty that we have in regards to what we believe. Now, this postmodern generation, according to them, views doctrine as being arrogant, uh, and they prefer the humility of uncertainty, feeling that that's a more genuine and authentic type of faith. Uh, fifth, Dr. Geisler points out that the emergent church is post-individual. Uh, modernism was all about individual efforts and individual affirmation and achievements, and the postmodern generation rejects individualism. Sixth, the emergent church is post-foundational. Uh, that is, they reject the idea that there is an objective foundation for our knowledge. We don't actually know anything objectively, according to the emergent church, because our perceptions are so heavily skewed. Seventh, they're post-creedal. In other words, they reject the creeds, which are, uh, for them, inventions of modern man, which attempted to verbally and categorically define uh, that particular culture's understanding of what Christianity affirms or desires. And finally, eighth, they are post-absolute. Uh, according to Dr. Geisler. That is, there are no things which people in general have in common, uh, culturally or linguistically speaking. Now, before we critique uh, you know, the, the emergent church a little bit more in these positions, uh, I, wanted, I do want to point out some of the positive things that the emergent church represents and or aims toward. So let's talk about the good, then we'll talk about the bad, and then we'll talk about the ugly. Let's start off with the good. Uh, one of the scary things about the emergent church is that they mix error into the same pot as truth, and that makes it really hard to distinguish the truth from error. But let's go ahead and dissect this just a little bit more and look at the, the truth that they are trying to affirm, or some of the truths um, that they're trying to affirm. First of all, one of the primary things that the emergent church represents or aims toward is the consistent living out of our faith. And really, their call is one of, uh, or, or for authenticity. Christians have, at least to some extent, gotten away from that uh, to a large degree. Uh, you know, instead of living out our faith consistently, a lot of Christians have compartmentalized their life so that they separate their Christian beliefs from their uh, daily lives, from their, their regular lives. And the result is uh, hypocrisy. You know, they go to, to church on Sundays. A lot of people will go to church on Sundays and maybe even pray every morning or every evening, but their faith isn't affecting the way that they live their lives the way that it should. The world notices this, and they scrutinize the entire Christian faith rather than simply 
scrutinizing the individual, unfortunately. And of course, it's illogical to reason from the particular to the general. You know, you see the, the, the actions of one Christian and assume that all Christians must be characterized by the same actions. But that's what people do. And that's, you know, whether it's illogical or not, uh, that doesn't matter to the people that we're trying to make an impression on through our actions on a day-by-day basis. You know, giving intellectual assent to a given doctrine is good. You know, it's, it's not a bad thing. But we should never be fooled into thinking that intellectual assent or intellectual belief alone is meaningful or sufficient to God. You know, James wrote about the this very thing when he noted in his book, uh, quote, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. That's what he wrote in James chapter 2, verse 19. You know, we're called to consistently behave in accordance with our faith, in accordance with our beliefs, which is what separates us from the demons who believe that God exists, but they won't apply that belief to their actions. Our faith shouldn't be our faith should never be categorized in our lives so that you know sometimes we're acting like one and sometimes we're not acting like one our faith just should not be categorized we can't deny that and when we do categorize our lives so that sometimes we're living like christians and other times we're living i don't know however we want to then we need that wake up call so i agree with the emergent leaders and i stand with them in the call uh for everyone to live out their faith on a daily basis, to be consistent and authentic. Secondly, I do appreciate their desire to reach the culture. I completely disagree with the notion that the message we proclaim must change, but I wholeheartedly agree that the methods we use to reach our culture do have to change. Uh, Man, I could not agree with anything more. And sadly, you know, when you look around at a lot of churches in our culture, they're not making a distinction between the method and the message. They're not making a distinction between the gospel and the way that they communicate the gospel message. Instead, we see churches preserving an outdated culture. Uh, And there's really no reason for that. If we're serious about proclaiming uh, the unchanging message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's no reason for us to be preserving a culture of 100 to 200 or more years ago. You know, most of the hymns that we sing in a lot of churches today were written prior to the era of drum sets and electric guitars and keyboards that can play, you know, 5,000 different sounds or however many different sounds. You know, the, the hymns are great, but they were written when music involved pianos and organs, since it was really unreasonable to try to, you know, put a 30-plus person orchestra into a small church building. But, you know, a lot has changed since those hymns were written. Technology's been developed, and musical styles have changed drastically. And further, you know, a lot of the hymns are written in Old English, since uh, there weren't as many good contemporary translations of the Bible when they were written. But nobody speaks in Old English anymore in America, including both the churched and the unchurched. So why are some churches still singing hymns that are written in Old English? And I personally, uh, you know, one, one of the struggles that I have with hymns is that I have to sit there and I am like trying to understand what I am saying or what I'm singing, and that prevents me from really engaging in worship. Instead, I'm you know, trying to figure out what I was just trying to say in the previous stanza. And I can't help but wonder if churches that sing hymns are preserving 
a culture rather than being serious about bringing the gospel message to this generation. And I know a lot of people are going to respond to that by noting that, you know, there's just such rich theology in the old hymns. And I agree with that. But that doesn't explain why those churches are still playing those hymns the way that those hymns were played 100 or 200 years ago. I personally would advocate rewriting the hymns the way some contemporary artists like Chris Tomlin and Lincoln Brewster do, and playing those songs in church with sounds that our culture can both relate to and they embrace it as well. We should be using every modern method of teaching and evangelism that we possibly can. And obviously, if we weren't using contemporary methods of teaching and reaching people, you wouldn't be listening to me on the podcasts that you know we've done regularly for the last three years. So in this respect, I agree with the emergent church. If we're serious about reaching people, we have to continually evaluate and reevaluate our methods and adjust accordingly. I would just disagree with them about changing the message We have to make a distinction between those two things. Third, uh, one of the things that have turned off the emergent leaders is Christians who are know-it-all legalists. And I agree with them on this account, too. I know that a lot of Christians try to pretend like they've got it all figured out, they've got everything all together, and that there's never any room and no need for correction. But, you know, I agree that people appreciate humility and that we should portray ourselves accordingly because Let's face it, we don't have all the answers. Life is complicated, and sometimes we're mistaken or unsure of things, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with admitting that, and I think that people, unbelievers especially, will respect us all the more when they see that we don't pretend to have everything all figured out. We should never come across as being prideful, and we should always attempt to present ourselves in humility. I agree with that completely. Uh, fourth, and uh, and finally, uh, I have no problem with bringing people into a story or a narrative as a means of teaching or reaching them. You know, one study after another has shown that if people can picture something while they're being told about it, their ability to grasp and to understand what's being communicated increases exponentially. So instead of trying to wax eloquent by explaining something merely conceptually or theoretically, if we can get the same point across through narrative or through story, we should be. And that's why pastors and teachers use illustrations and props and visual aids. They're vital for helping people understand abstract concepts. There's absolutely nothing wrong with using narrative or story for teaching abstract or conceptual truths, as long as it's true to what that truth is. You know, these are truths that we definitely should be embracing. All these things that I've been talking about up to this point are things that we should embrace. Unfortunately, the emergent church takes these truths and loads them up with proverbial dynamite, and the result is that the philosophy of the emergent church detonates when we apply their affirmations to themselves. And uh, this shows us what is bad about emergent theology or emergent philosophy. So let's talk about the bad. Well, first of all, obviously, if a statement contradicts itself, it can't be true. And this is one of the the just basic laws of thought. It's called the law of non-contradiction. And emergent theology errs in that it affirms so much that it implodes. It collapses on itself. So let's briefly summarize some examples of that, some examples of where their uh, their philosophy is actually self-defeating. 
Emergent theology, first of all, it denies absolute objective knowledge. However, it presupposes the existence of objective knowledge because in order to know that a person can't have objective knowledge requires objective knowledge. To say everything is relative is a non-relative statement. To say all knowledge is subjective is not a subjective statement. So that just doesn't fly. Emergent theology also denies the importance of propositions, but it's impossible to communicate meaningfully without propositions. And so for them to deny that propositions are, are, are good, or for them to say that propositions are bad or aren't helpful, is an example of them using propositions to explain that they don't like propositions. Hmm. Emergent theology also claims that our perception of the world is shaped and formed by linguistic and cultural constructs. However, if that's true, then they only believe that, they only think that, because their culture and language have forced them to. So further, this is an objective truth claim, you know, something that applies to all persons. But I thought they said we couldn't have an objective perspective of things. Emergent theology also teaches that we shouldn't believe that any view is exclusively true. In his book, A Generous Orthodoxy, Brian McLaren writes that, quote, Jesus did not come to create another exclusive religion, end quote. However, he's basically teaching that his view, that no view is exclusively true, is exclusively true. His view, he's saying, is exclusively true, and his view being that no view is exclusively true. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. Some emergent leaders also think that walking and living like Jesus means embracing contradictions, like the quote that we just gave you a couple minutes ago. Uh, However, if that's true, then it's equally true that walking and living like Jesus means denying contradictions. However, since these two statements are at diametrical odds with one another, they can't both be true, and thus the first statement is necessarily false. The emergent church also teaches that we should embrace uncertainty. However, they seem pretty certain that we should embrace uncertainty. How does that work? It doesn't. The emergent church also teaches that we can't know the essence of language and thus can't know with any degree of certainty what the Bible is teaching. Now, the problem with this is that we have to know what's right in order to know what's wrong. Can I take a given passage, for example, in Scripture and interpret it as being an allegory of the Star Wars movies? Well, of course not. Well, if you know that there are some interpretations which uh, are necessarily excluded, then you're appealing to an objective and uh, universally absolute understanding of the text. As uh, Dr. Geisler points out, they're basically saying my understanding of the text is correct in saying that my understanding of the text is never correct. Hmm. Also, the emergent church teaches that since we can't know the correct meaning of the biblical text, we should reject all doctrine. However, this is a doctrine of emergent theology. Thus, if we must eliminate all doctrine, we also have to eliminate the doctrine that we should eliminate all doctrine. I'm not sure how that would work, but that's what they teach. So clearly, you know, there are some very, very serious inconsistencies with emergent theology, which render their system not only inconsistent, but uh, logically invalid as well. You know, when an ideology or a philosophy contradicts itself, what do we do? We dismiss it, right? I mean, imagine picking up the newspaper and on the front page it says, to read this newspaper, please read it with your eyes closed. 
you know, obviously it's impossible to read something with our eyes closed, and we would think that there's something seriously wrong with a person who thought it would be better for us to read the newspaper that way. And with the emergent church, they're doing and embracing the very things that they're telling everyone not to do or not to embrace. They've repackaged and relabeled a system called Gnosticism, and they're trying to sell it off as genuine Christianity. Friends, the garbage these snake oil salesmen are trying to sell us is not Christianity. And that brings us to the ugly realization of why the emergent church is selling a false gospel. So we've talked about the good, we've talked about the bad, here we are talking about the ugly. You know, the Bible teaches us that there is certainly a relationship between faith and works. I think we'd all agree with that. Volumes have been written on that very subject, in fact, and they're not difficult to find. In short, the Bible teaches that works come or flow naturally from faith. Our faith in Jesus is what saves us and brings us into this new relationship with him, and that new relationship enables and empowers us to do good works. This is the biblical understanding of the relationship between faith and works. Faith comes first, and works flow from that faith. Emergent theology, on the other hand, turns this relationship on its head. As we've noted, the emergent movement encourages us to reach out to others by bringing the unsaved into our story since they can't understand the linguistic constructs of Christianity. Thus, according to them, we need to start people off by teaching them how to live like a Christian. Well, according to emergent theology, once a person learns how to speak and act and live like a Christian, faith will follow. And so, really, if you if you look at what's happening here, emergent theology is teaching not that works flow from faith, but that faith flows from good works. Friends, this is a false gospel. The Bible is clear. Apart from God's work in our lives, we are not capable of doing anything good. And yes, you know, we should be showing the world good works and we should be living authentic Christian lives. But Paul also wrote... And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And then he goes on to say, faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. That's what Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 17. So if faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from being taught, then don't think for a second that we should abandon our proclamation of the true gospel message, part of which is that Jesus has given us good works to do through him once we've received and believed that he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again to prove our justification. But how serious is it that the emergent church is teaching a false gospel? It's very serious, friends. It is very, very serious. Paul wrote to the Galatians, chapter 1, verse 8, that they should stay away from anyone who teaches a false gospel. I would say that we would be wise to heed his warning. Now, in closing, there are good things and bad things that are taught by the emergent church. Uh, There are truths that they teach, such as the importance of being authentic in our Christian lives, applying our faith to all aspects of our lives, being consistent with that, being humble with others rather than arrogant or prideful, and regularly changing the methods of proclaiming our message of the gospel. Unfortunately, these truths are thrown into the mix with a lot of untrue, uh, logically contradictory statements, which renders their message very 
dangerous. And not only is their message dangerous, but the means by which they suggest we bring others to faith in Christ puts the relationship between faith and works upside down, resulting in a false gospel message that if we do enough works, we'll eventually have faith. It's possible, given our study of emergent theology, to keep the meat and spit out the bones, so to speak. But there is no justification for taking things as far as the emergent movement has proposed. We have to have a balance, but they take things just beyond that balance to a point that's just too far. You know, you can't deny that they contradict themselves, and as such, their system is completely false. Even though there are truths in there, we have to take those truths and extract them and separate them from the false things. What they teach is just a matter of going too far. There are some good things, but we have to be consistent with what we believe. And I think people will appreciate consistency a lot more uh, than they give people credit for. Well, I thought we'd end with a quote straight from the blog of Perry Noble. Perry Noble is a pastor in South Carolina of New Spring Church, and he, uh, he really has a strong stand against the emergent church. So I wanted to share a quote from his blog. It looks like this is from 2007, uh, January 8th. Here he writes the quote, In my opinion, the only thing that needs to emerge from the emerging church is their head out of their rear ends so that they can better listen to God and fulfill the Great Commission. End quote. And those are some pretty strong words. But let's be honest. These guys have their heads in the sand, and they're talking about stuff that makes absolutely no sense. So, Pastor Perry Noble, I, uh, I appreciate your words there. I don't know if I would have worded it so strongly, but uh, I understand what you're getting at. So, anyway, hope that clears things up for you guys. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Keep growing closer to Jesus. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us, and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today and keep growing closer to Jesus.